Welcome to the Myatt & Co podcast, Listen In. Here, Mary and colleagues talk to interesting people about interesting stuff going on in schools. We hope you enjoy it. Hello there, I'm Mary Myatt and in this session I'm talking with David Roger Goodwin um, about his work, which is absolutely fascinating, um, on graphic organisers for meaningful learning, um, on which he's done another session. But I was very interested to know about why David came to be using this very sophisticated but very um, in tune with human learning uh, way of um, organising our thoughts. And so in this session, we're going to be having some discussions around the background to that. So welcome, David. Are you happy to say a little bit about your role and what you're currently working on? Yeah. Hi, Mary. Um, so, yeah, I'm currently head of year 10 um, and year 11 at a school in Lincolnshire. Uh, previously, I was a head of faculty um, in another school net close by. Um, and um, yeah, we're going to talk to you today um, regarding reading, teaching beyond the specification and, and how graphic organisers can be a, a tool to help support that. Um, and, and hopefully my kind of journey and my passion for really wanting to, to, to push and, and stretch students far beyond just the um, GCSE is, uh, comes through and, and you get a sense of that. So that's great. So the overall theme is that the specification, GCSE and A-level, is not the curriculum. So let's just unpack that a bit. I mean, I'll kick off by saying that, you know, that it is an issue in some parts of the sector that in secondary, you know, that if you talk about, well, why are we teaching this and why now? Well, it's on the specification. And it's as though the idea that, the specification is it. So, so give me your thoughts on that, because I think that's just a brilliant quote that you've got there. Yeah, I, th- I think the the specification for, for, for those people that still view it as, as king and, and that it is your, is your curriculum is, um, I suppose, that accountability of, of results and, and look, we, you know, we're in a high stakes, high pressured role and um, we want our students to do well and by no means am I saying the specification is not the curriculum that I don't want my students to do well, but I, I would argue and, and advocate that actually teaching beyond the specification um, in, in turn will give you the results that you want. Um, and, you know, I didn't get into teaching my subjects, especially in secondary school. Our subjects, we, we, we got into teaching because we are passionate about them. Um, so that, that passion should not, you know, be... Um, held back and, and held down by um, some, you know, criteria of what we have to teach. And and um, and, and there's nowhere in any exam specification that, that says it has to be taught in the order um, that it's written in, um, that the specification really should be the framework in which you can build a, a real powerful curriculum on top of. Um, and, yeah, I'm a firm believer that we... we use the specification to to help map our curriculum but by no means is it the the be all and end all and and we should um and and we we should feel like and and certainly should explore the the possibilities that that lie beyond simply just using the specification yes i couldn't i couldn't agree more so um i think you know as you as you just said that the 
need to get strong results for students um, has has in some cases distorted you know what is then offered to them and it, it's it's quite clear that it was never ever meant to be limited to what is on those specifications what we should be offering them should be a richer um, more interesting expansive diet than just what's on the specs I'm not saying the specs aren't interesting themselves but there's always richness sitting behind there and so that's um, really what we're going to explore in this session um, so three elements um, as we often do for these series um, the first is is um, the consideration of wider reading in order to build this uh, more expansive curriculum so can you say a bit about why you came to believe that that was important for your students yeah, it's there's, there's a lot. I'm seeing a lot more people embrace this um, guided reading and, and reading as a as a, a way of making meaning. And um, you know, I watched the presentation a few months back by James and Diane Murphy that talked about um, we we have very little control of what our students read outside of school. Um, so while while they're in school, we should really you know use that as an opportunity to to focus our students and put in front of them um subject the main specific texts that are demanding um and and demonstrate to them how they can make meaning from from reading um tom Sherrington talks about reading should not be something that we shoehorn into the curriculum but actually something that should be at the core of our curriculum planning um so and, and, I, and for, for me as, a, as an adult, you know, if I want to learn anything new, how, how do I go about doing it? I, I, I read about it more, more often than not. Um, and we, we have a wealth of um, technology and social media platforms and, and things that can distract us from something as simple as, as the act of reading that, um, as I said, students might, they might not read a lot outside of school, but while, while they're in my lessons, they're going to be reading um, and they're going to be reading a lot. Um, you know, some of the strategies we do, we do a lot of whole class reading. So we read together um, and, and every student gets involved in that process. And there'll be times when they come across words and phrases that are different to, to you know, pronounce. Um, but I always say to my students, it would be unfair of me to expect you to understand that word and, and use and write that word if you never, never actually get to say it. Um, so, for example, um, cumulonimbus clouds, uh, we were discussing um, a couple of weeks back in, in one of my lessons and, you know, students' opportunity to read that and, and rather than just, you know, letting them struggle with it, we, we, we all said it together chorally. So we all said it together, we broke it down and we all went, Cumulonimbus, and we, we practiced that three or four times. Um, and then that student that had the par paragraph to read with that word in it, it, it was no bother to them. They didn't feel silly. They didn't feel like they could read it. Um, they, they could. Um, and then they, they, I suppose kind of one of the things that I've noticed from that um, going forward is actually their spelling of that word um, is, is more accurate as a result of it. Because now not only um, have they seen it, not only have they read it, um, and, and they've broken it down. They've done so repeatedly, um, and then I suppose it's it's just about having those high standards and those high expectations. I, you know, I don't want any students to come to my class and, and feel like 
they cannot access that. Every every single student in my class, regardless of uh, the number, the grade that they are predicted, and you know the key stage three, uh, key stage two score that they got, that they're in my room. And you know if that means that for, for that individual they need more practice and they need more guidance, and that they'll get that. But what they won't get is a um, get out of jail free card because you know they came with a, a, a number that says that they were only expected to get this grade and you know that that's not going to sit with me um, and they know that um, and that that's the the great thing they know that those standards and expectations are high um, but it's a it's a joy to to listen to and read and to actually um, put their hand up now and, and actually ask say can I read um, and usually when we're doing our 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 um, whole class reading um, next week's line. I have a number, so I'll say, you know, Joey, you're going to read lines one to five. Uh, Timmy, you're going to read, read lines six through to eight. And, and what we can do with that as well is, is as we're uh, as we've read through it as a class, and we want to go back th- through the text, we can signpost individual words or you know passages of text that we want to unpick a little bit further. Um, and, and, and I said very early on, as, as we kind of start to approach this, is that, you know, I want everyone to have a go at this. And even if it means at first, you're only going to read one word or you're only going to read a, a line or a sentence. Um, and, and fortunately, I didn't have have any real, dif- um, any kind of um, obstruction to that. And, and, and every single student kind of embraced it. Um, but, you know, one thing I would advise is if you, you, you have got a group that do struggle to read, you know, like anything we do in teaching, we break it down into small steps and we, and we build up that um, you know, that level of success and that level of confidence so that, you know, eventually it's, it's not a barrier. They don't look at it as a barrier. They look at it actually as something that they enjoy. Exactly. So there's so much going on there. Um, you, you know, the the wider reading that we offer our pupils and students is a very efficient way of all that vocabulary development is embedded in there. And so they encounter it, we practice it and all the rest of it. But it's also a very efficient way of getting background to students. Uh, Very important, uh, as we know, that unconnected facts just simply don't remain or sit in the long-term memory unless there's some kind of connection there so the wider reading can perform that function as well and Christine Council talks a lot about hinterland and the the background to supporting what's being what's going on Um, and then huge amounts of evidence that they're inclusive for all so um, really interesting what you say when we were talking earlier you said that one of your students said it felt like being in an English lesson and you said (laughs) great and and for me that is um, an absolute um, testament to the fact that we should all be reading across the curriculum this isn't just the domain of the English department this is the obligation of every every subject to be providing this wider reading for all the reasons that we're beginning to outline so if we can just get into a a little bit of the detail of the sorts of texts that you select to stretch your pupils and students yeah it's it's quite fluid um you, I, I, typically, I might just stumble across something. Um, so, there's a, a lovely article in the National Geographic that um, framed the Himalayas as the the water tower to the whole of Asia, and this idea that because the main rivers of Asia, the Indus, the Ganges, etc., they they begin their life in the Himalayas, 
um, they framed it as the water tower for, for Asia. And um, at the time, we, I'm, I was currently planning a unit of work um, for India, looking at India's economic development. But I was very keen to explore well beyond the the expectations of what the specification set out. So um, I, I went on a little bit of a journey and the, the, the first steps, I, you know, I, I typically as I'm planning, think about where do I want my pupils to finish up and what are all of the, the pieces, all the steps they're going to need to take to get there. Um, so when we're thinking about the economic development for somewhere like India, um, their economies and, and the way that they've developed is quite different to other countries. They still have a high dependency on agriculture um, and without the, the the water and the um, sediment that's carried by the rivers, they in turn wouldn't have a very successful um, agricultural industry um, and with a population of 1.3 billion, they, they would also have food shortages. So as I'm starting to unpick all of this and thinking about planning, I'm starting to think, right, well, we, we need to explore um, rivers and the importance of rivers, but then uh, we need to think about where the rivers start, which is the Himalayas. Um, but, you know, where, the Himalayas, you know, the tallest mountain range in, in the world, how did that came to be? So now we've got this opportunity to revisit something we explored early on in the curriculum where we looked at continental drift. Um, and we can explore the idea that, you know, Alfred Wegener's theory of continental drift and how these two plates came together and collided to create the Himalayas. Now we've got the Himalayas that are considered the, you know, the water tower of the whole of Asia. And we've, we've started to connect all this together. And this is in a, a unit of work that is um, covered in the, the human geography um, exam paper. But a lot of what I've just discussed is, is physical geography. But I, I would argue the case that, how can we discuss the importance of farming to this nation if we haven't done all of that stuff that comes before it? Um, so, yeah, in terms of how I select them, it is, it is quite fluid. Um, we've I've used um, a couple of chapters from the book Prisons of Geography, which is written by the journalist Tim Marshall. Um, and it's, it's a difficult one because with a book like that, it's it's a fantastic read. It's you know a very demanding read um, for the students, but because it is written by a journalist and not necessarily a geographer, we we do we you know it we could um, you know depending on uh, if time permitted and things like that, actually critique the validity of of what the author is actually um, saying. So. Yeah, I, I typically pull from a whole range of sources. Um, the Geographical Association magazine has just published something about how climate change uh, not only affects females more than males, but also that females are more conscious, uh, con uh, aware of the dangers of climate change and actually are, are putting up more of a fight and, and, and doing more to mitigate climate change than, than males are. So that's something that we're going to unpick and explore in the next couple of weeks with uh, my year 10s that are currently looking at climate change. So what you've described there the, is, is really bringing the subject alive, providing depth, um, absolutely making it irresistible. Why wouldn't anyone want to, not want to know more about this? And it's all done through, obviously, a high-quality teaching, which is including, you know, drawing on this wonderful material and I think it's quite interesting that you say that it's fluid because 
this is about making sense for our pupils and students, but also um, seeing the richness of what's out there and saying, oh, could I incorporate that as, a, as an additional supplementary, probably more than that, actually, um, essential reading for them to get into this much, much more deeply. Um, and then you then, in order to support your students making sense of this material, was, was what took you into the development of graphic organisers so that yeah. you're then summarising, making sense of it and and making the conceptual concrete. Is, is that fair to say? You have to say a bit more about that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, as, as we're reading the, the things that we read are, are linear, you know, prose are linear, one word after another. Um, and if you've seen my, you, you know, the presentation that I did for Research Ed, you, you know, you'll know that um, our our mind doesn't organise ideas in that manner. You know, as, as I'm talking now, there is nothing stopping for people having separate thoughts about other things. Um, and we, we, we don't organise ideas in our head in that manner. Um, and the use of kind of graphic organisers, um, you know, it, they offer um, almost a representation of our schema. You know, we, we don't look in our brain and, and see a, a mind map or a fishbone diagram, but they offer an opportunity to present um, the key ideas. Um, and I, I use this phrase about being able to see um, the whole and its parts or being able to see the forest and the trees. You know, if, we, if we're reading, we, we have to work very hard to navigate the, the complex syntax of, of what we're reading. Um, and we, we, you know, we have to move backwards and forwards through the text to, to find possibly the information that we're looking for. Whereas in a, 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 the, di the diagrammatic form, um, as Bertrand Russell said in, in, in the 1930s, the, the philosopher talks about how it allows us to see everything simultaneously. Um, and it offers us that kind of computational efficiency. Not that we can process it all simultaneously, but it's a more efficient way of doing it. And by uh, interacting with the, the text that they're reading and selecting the key ideas and organising it, cognitively they're having to process that, and, and we're going to have a higher success of actually encoding that into our long-term memory, um, as in opposed to passively sitting there reading it, maybe answering some comprehension questions about it um, and then maybe, you know, attempting something a little bit more challenging um, than, a, than a comprehension type question. Um, and I almost have a, a, a little bit of a, a routine in a system now where when we're going to be doing some sort of complex reading and um, look at some demanding text, I'll, I'll typically scan through the text and pick out all of the um, tier two and tier three language that I know we might need to unpick some more. Um, in some cases, I might pre-teach some of the, and check the understanding of the tier two language before we get into the, the actual reading of it. Um, we go through the reading of it. Um, we might do a series of comprehension questions just to, to check our understanding. And then, We'll have a look at how we can organise our ideas, selecting an organiser that best represents the nature of the text. Um, and typically, text will fall into one of one of four categories in terms of um, how we can represent that as a graphic organiser. So, we, you know, we can chunk and define, compare, sequence it, 
or we can look at cause and effect. Um, so we, we can select the correct organiser. Um, and then I like to, to look at doing some practising of, of sentence writing um, and, and I might model a couple of sentence stems and, and start some sentences off that I get them to um, practice, uh, to complete, sorry. Um, and I like to use some activities from the writing revolution as well. I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with but some some really, really good activities in there to, to get them... I, I call it to, with the students the warm up. You know, the warm up before the main event, the opportunity for you to to really communicate and and show off your your newfound understanding before we we really get into. It. And then, as I said, they'll they'll get into some extended writing and, and an opportunity to to communicate what they've learned from the process. So there's so much going on there beyond the provision and the offering of these great texts you're really squeezing the juice of the learning out of them which is brilliant here so the the pre-teaching of the vocabulary along Isabel Beck's et al's bringing words to life and then the writing revolution if so because of all those structures which you simply can't escape from having to develop your responses to them in a very humane way, but it's putting appropriate cognitive load onto the students, which is absolutely brilliant. And so if we could just sort of end by saying, you know, just the headlines of the impact of this work, and I don't mean in terms of hard data, just in terms of the quality of what children are producing and, and quality of their thinking. It's one of the one of the best things that um, I've, I've seen, it, it, I'll, I'll go into more depth, but I started to read in a student's piece of work and uh, one of the things that I've been trying to, to say to my students is, um, you, you know, to try to avoid, especially when you're being asked to make a judgment in, in your question, try to avoid writing in the first person um, and, and try to act like journalists do. Um, so I, I picked up a, a student's piece of work and um, I think it read something like no lingua franca, uh, M dash, you know, having no common language, M dash, was a historical cause um, of uneven development in, in many African nations. And it was just that little, that little passage there where they'd used an M dash because they'd seen me modelled it and, and demonstrated, with, demonstrated it with them. Um, and, you know, they, they're using phrases like lingua franca, which is, you know, just, just incredible anyway. But just the style of writing is just improved dramatically and um, one of the things that I've worked hard on them with is look you, you've organized your ideas you've, you've produced you, you know you've you've taken what's in here and put that down onto paper um, now your brain is really free to, to to really practice how to communicate that and I, and I, I stressed my students about you know being a scholar and in when you go to college and university how you write, and especially when you, you know you write a dissertation, this is this is how they write. This is how they communicate their ideas. And we look at how to write in um, quite a sharp manner, how to communicate sophisticated and complex ideas in a sharp and, and um, succinct manner that demonstrates their understanding, but that someone else could pick it up and, and also understand. Um, and yeah, you know, we go on a bit of a journey, and I, I, I'll say to them sit there and, and what you've read, read that in your head, you know, read that sentence back to yourself. And if that sentence doesn't make sense to your reader, you know, and it does, it's not going to make sense to them. And I try to, you know, get this across them. It's not about you writing things down on, on paper because you're scoring marks and you're scoring grades. Imagine you are writing this to inform somebody else 
what you know and what you understand. Um, and it was practicing how to, to write a conclusion a couple of weeks back. And, and I said to the you know, just avoid this cliche of, of starting your conclusion with to conclude that, you know, that's that typical to, you know, you see the writing frameworks that teachers put together because students forget to con- include their conclusion. So I said, look, scrap that. So we, we went and uh, had a quick look at a Guardian newspaper article and, and the conclusion. I said, I, we read the conclusion together, this, ad, this article. I said, we, we can tell based on what's in, you know, in that conclusion, what that whole article was about and the main, the main points and the main ideas. Um, and I said, I guarantee that they've introduced nothing new in that conclusion that they haven't talked about. Um, it, it, it's it's sharp, it's to the point, and and that's been the biggest impact. I'm seeing their writing really, really flourish and, and develop beyond what the you know the peas and the petals that they've been used to previously. So this is. So exciting to hear the impact of your selection of lovely texts all the way through to what the students and pupils are producing themselves. And there is a golden thread there because that's actually how professional writers work. They 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 base and, and read a great deal and actually um, draw from other models and just adapt it themselves until they find their own voice. And it seems to me that this is what you're providing for your students. Um, just a beautiful way of working. And of course, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, a geography context here, but in fact, this would apply for every other subject as well, I would argue. So David, I'd just like to thank you very much indeed for unpacking uh this really interesting idea that actually the curriculum is far more than just the specification and our pupils and students deserve so much more Um, and that there is um, a great deal more that you discuss around the graphic organizers um, in the in the separate session that you did for research at Surrey and I'm sure colleagues will find that incredibly helpful so thank you very much indeed David Um, that was just absolutely riveting If you enjoyed this podcast, there are over 300 films and resources on the Myatt & Co. website. Just go to www.myattandco.com.